0: The book, Crimes and Punishment, I am very much looking forward to reading this book again in five years or something. I'm curious to see if I'm going to enjoy it a lot more or if you're going to find some magical, beautiful, powerful, potent wisdom that I missed in this reading. Because I read the book, it's a good book, but it is not the... It is a very impotent book in comparison to Anna Karenina, for instance, for me. Like, the writing is not as beautiful in my my reading. The characters are not as alive in my reading. are more one-dimensional, more caricature, a little bit more of a caricature, not crazy caricature-like, but a bit more of a caricature, a bit more one-sided, simplified, one way than in Anna Karenina the big kind of, the way I read it, the big struggle that Dostoevsky is putting on paper here. It's powerful and rings true to me, but funny enough, maybe because of the way he is acting it out, to me, in too many ways felt drawn out in an unsatisfied way where there's a lot of big chunks of that book that I was not enjoying reading and didn't miss and didn't sense why they mattered and how they played an important enough role. They all played some role, but there was a lot of throwaway for me in my reading. A lot of, this is now 40 pages, it could be four, and I don't see the value of dragging me through this in such detail, no matter how I look at it. Again, could be totally different in my next reading, but this reading, it lacked that, to me, this was good, where some other books are like masterful. I, I I didn't sense that, but then I feel like it is a book that has such a powerful name that maybe the mastery just, you know, was not there for me in this reading. The, there were parts of it, I have to say, that were riveting, right? Parts of it where I was really sucked into the insane inner war of Raskolnikov, who is the main character who's committed the crime, and the, this constant, you know, hanging thread of I'm about to be caught. I'm about to be caught. And the he is a main character constantly putting himself in the most dangerous situation. And he's just unreasonably playing with fire again and again and again. And at times it felt annoying to me and untrue. And it was like, this is too much. I'm not. I don't care about the character enough to care what happens to him. So then it's very tough for me to be really like along for the ride. And other times it was so fascinating or so riveting that I would, if I wanted or not, I had no choice. I was like along for the ride of the the thrill of it. But it is in this reading, a display to me of you know, kind of that there is a core in us humans, our core inner compass when it comes to our morals and ethics, like what we at our deepest core believe to be just and unjust, fair and unfair, good and bad. There's something inside of us that no logic, no rationale, no thinking mind can override. It can override these things to take us to certain actions, but it cannot override what hell or heaven we're going to go through since heaven or hell is a place we create within us. And if we think we're on the wrong side of life, of goodness, of honesty, of righteousness, of justice, we will create hells and punish ourselves to the maximum degree, no matter how much our thinking mind can find excuses can find glory, can find flattery in telling ourselves some theory why what we're doing is good. These two things are disconnected, and you cannot override it. There's power in that idea, if that's the core idea. This is the way I experience reading it. There's a real power, in that. and there's powerful examples in that book. He gets sick constantly. He's in this you know, he's sick physically, which is caused by that moral compass. He is at times has psychotic episodes or episodes where it's not clear if he's in the right mind, which is caused by that inner compass. He's pushing himself way too close to danger, which is that part of him that's like wants to be caught. It's like goes to people and places and all but admits, gives them. As much signal waves the flag here. Look at me. I'm the one that killed her. I'm the murderer. Like, does so much. And he, without him doing this, nobody would ever suspect him. But that doing starts creating suspicion and then starts creating in the external world people chasing him or looking for him or thinking that he's the one that did it, although there's no evidence for it. So he's creating conflict with other people and creating risk to get people to start chasing him, right? He is, I mean, he's doing all that, he is admitting it. Finally, like he finds a person that is so childlike, so innocent, so good, so vulnerable, that it's sort of like, I think, represents a goodness that he cannot find in himself anymore and in the world. Raskolnikov is like such a cynical prideful little man right is like a young kid that is so incredibly full of pride cynicism jealousy and arrogance that you know he finds almost everybody repelling but that there's this like little girl that is sort of impossible to see in that light, in that kind of selfish human shadow darker side. And when he finds her, he basically is going through a whole process all to go and tell her the truth. So he tells her that he is a murderer and has done all these terrible things. And at the very end, throughout this entire time, he's fighting this. He His thinking mind is saying, I, cu- I killed an insect. It wasn't even a human. I didn't do a crime. This isn't even a problem. Killing, murder, and punishment is happening around the world all the time. He has this theory of Napoleon. Like, great men have always been men uninhibited by questions of morale and good and bad. There were men that went and took what they wanted. And I wanted to see if I was a man like that, right? If I could just go and get my do as I want it, and take over the world without a fear of what other people think, and if it's good or bad, who gives a fuck, and throughout all, and then anytime people that he's leading on to start chasing him, once they start chasing him, when they don't want to see it, like when he's telling him signals, I, it was me, it was me, and they don't listen, he's angry at their stupidity, and when they start listening and suspecting him, he's angry that they dare chasing him. Like he's just, you know, he's the entire time. And then there's a guy, there's one police officer that's like kind of a Columbo, Colambo, do you remember that show? Character where he sort of like plays it a little bit dumb, but he's like the smartest guy in the room, right? He's like totally leading him on. And Raskolnikov is very intelligent. So he notice he knows instantly that this guy's playing games with him. And he's trying to irritate him to make him do things and say things. And so they're playing a cat and mouse little chess board game, you know, of like how they treat each other and how they communicate to each other. Eventually at the very end of the book, once somebody else admitted to the guilt, admitted to the murder, although he didn't do it and said, I was it," like, just put me in the jail. And there's no evidence. And everybody's like, ah, we're crazy to suspect you. That officer goes to him, sits down and, at first is apologizing for you know everything he led him on. And then this is a brilliant part. There's a few parts in the book that I really thought were brilliant writing and really amazing scenes. And at that, the entire time Raskolnikov is like, could it really be that this brilliant guy is so dumb that he's now believed that it wasn't me? I just kind of like, can't quite believe it, but this officer comes across so honest. And then in that very moment where he's a, he's about to believe him, that officer winks at him and basically tells him, I know who murdered him. It was you, right? And there's no way to change that fact. And then that officer tells him, listen, I have zero evidence against you and all the behavior points against you. And I would have such a difficult time to put you behind jail. And I'll tell you what, I know you're going to end up in jail. And I know that you're going to end up giving up yourself. You're going to show up at the police station one day and you're going to admit to the guilt. And Raskolnikov is like, you know, out of his mind, angry and thinking, "This I'll never do that. This is never going to happen. And he goes through all kinds of considerations. Many times you suspect he's playing with the thought of suicide, right? He's going to take his own life. Or you think he's going to kill some more people. Or you think he's going to run to Siberia to, you know, be gone. But eventually and finally, at the very last step, he goes and admits to the murder. And even how he does that is incredibly conflicted and cowardly. He goes to his mother and makes a whole scene. It just, he goes to all the people that love him and basically makes them get all emotional and afraid for him. And even himself, as he leaves these people, because at first he goes there to talk to them, like whatever, let's say one final time. And then when they get all emotional and like, are loving him and want to be close to him, he gets so enraged because he hates that they still love him, that they still want to be close to him. His sister finds out finally that he's a murderer, and she still loves him, and he's like, he's enraged. He hates her for it, right? And he himself is wondering every time, kind of in a half delirium, why am I going to these people before going to, like, he started walking to basically go to the police station, and he's taking all these you know, all these uh, extra routes to go to his mother, his sister, this girl, like all these people to tell goodbye. And he says, well, what I want, do I want their love? And it's like, no, he's like, what I want is their tears. Like, I want to see them cry for me. And he's like, what a coward I am. What a little, like, you know, he's like, all full of self-hate that he's so weak that he wants to see these people loving him, you know? And then he walks into the police station and he's like, I'm going to go to this Police officer that's like has a crazy temper and was super loud and is very aggressive. And he starts a conversation with a police officer, and the police officer is in the best of moods, is joking with him. And he's like, Oh my God, remember when you came the first time? I even suspected you for a moment. Oh, I was so crazy. How are you doing? And he's like, Super nice. And again, Raskolnikov is like, Is he playing a game? Is this true? What is going on? And for a moment, he hears about some adversary, a really bad guy. That killed himself the night before and as he hears that almost like this it, for a moment because a threat in his life is being eliminated in a surprising fashion raskolnikov almost like smiles and thinks all right uh, says goodbye to the police officer and walks out of the police station right and as he walks out he sees that little girl that angel that one like pure soul that he cannot dirty with his mind and his emotions she had followed him all the along to the police station and was Looking if he would walk in and admit to his guilt, and when he sees her, he turns around and he goes back into the police station again. (laughs) And the police officer is like, "Hey, did you forget something? What's going on, Oh, buddy?" Blah blah blah. He talks to him, and he's trying to say words, but he cannot say words, and so he's mumbling. Mm -hmm. And then he tries again, and he can't. And then he says, "I am the murderer. I did blah blah blah." And that's kind of how the book ends. Then he, it it took basically, I don't know, an couple of months of the most intense inner struggle suffering sickness insanity fights this all that but finally he had no other choice than to go and admit to his guilt right? there was no other he, he couldn't take his life he couldn't run away he could nothing he had to go because in his inner compass it was inescapable and the entire time throughout the entire book He's never aware of that. Even in that final moment, he's not thinking, oh, I am just too good. Oh, oh I, my morals forced me to do the right thing. In his mind, he's it, just, he doesn't know why he do, does these things, why he struggles so much, right? But it's like his inner moral compass that is pushing him in one direction, no matter how much he's trying to swim in the other direction, like that's it's futile, futile. He's yeah. going to end up at that place. Even, even if you get away with it, you don't get away with it. You don't get away with it. That's a beautiful thing about the, uh, oftentimes while reading the book, I thought the title is kind of beautiful because crime and punishment, the punishment is not really dependent on external punishment or justice. And oftentimes I thought, I saw what, there's many book covers, there's many different versions and publications of this book. Jesus, there's a lot of Kindle versions of this book where the writing, the translation from Russian to English is unreadable, unreadably bad. Um, but there's like one cover that I saw and it looked like an old guy, like an old rich guy. So in the back of my mind a couple of times I thought, is this going to be, is he going to get away with it and then we're going to follow him along to old age and all the kind of suffering that he had to go through because he didn't get justice when he did the crime. Right? The But that didn't happen but the punishment will happen internally no matter what happened externally and we know of many cases where internally somebody knew they had done nothing wrong and no matter how much external punishment was forced upon them they weren't punished the people you know the the jesus story as kind of in that vein or the story of gandhi or nelson mandela people that we know that were unjustly punished, but seemed to never suffer and not feel it as punishment of themselves, but more as punishment of their punishers. Like these people that put me behind bars, these people that are angry at me, that hate me, they are... Internally injuring themselves, they are going to suffer a lot because what they're doing is not right. And they cannot penetrate, they can hurt me and lock me away, but in my heart, I'm happy, I'm whole, I'm you know, I am um holy and good because the I'm not, I don't have guilt. I haven't done anything. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no doubt in me. So no matter what you do to me, you're doing these things to yourself, really. Like you're not doing them to me because you are the one committing the crimes, committing the injustices. Um, And so I will have compassion for you and not anger, right? I mean, that we're now talking about these, these people in history that seem to be cut from a different cloth. Right, the, the the above mere normal humanity, but, but and, and even the even they 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 had to work to arrive at that. Right, it's yeah, not like it's yeah. not like Mandela was all from day one in prison. Be like, yeah, can, I'm happy. <laughs> he went through some and dark who, times. And who knows? Uh With some people like Mandela or Gandhi, we have more history to tell us different versions, more details. Uh, even with those people, who knows how they felt inside, what really was happening inside versus what they showed through their actions or their words. It's so tough to say. But there is an ideal we have, right? An ideal of somebody that will not have the need to, you know, that we can give you the other cheek, not because of weakness, but because of pure strength and wholeness. And because the, your you you're hit you're hit, you hitting them is hurting your hand and your heart more than their face right like they 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 you know are not feeling the sting because they are clean and pure and whole within themselves and so there's no punishment you can externally force upon them you can restrict them in some ways and do things to their body but you cannot make their soul suffer the way that Raskolnikov is suffering in his soul in a way that is like a thousand death sentences. I mean, you read that book and you, there's not a there's not a single spark of ease, joy, light, nothing. That entire fucking book is one never ending getting punched in the face out in the cold rain, like that's all in darkness. Like there's nothing nice. It's unrelenting. And that is the kind of state that Raskolnikov is in, because he's guilty, right? He feels guilt. And the more he tries to escape that guilt, the more his internal compass is punishing him harder and harder um, and make him suffer harder and harder. Um, that is a powerful idea. It's such a true idea. Try to Try to act. I heard this. Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson said this somewhere once, and I thought this was a strong, good statement. Try to act against your inner moral compass and see how you'll see how your life will unfold afterwards. See if you can make everything go back to normal and be at ease with yourself and life. You can't. It's impossible. It's not within your power. Your mind. No matter what practices or habits or mental gymnastics, no matter how much willpower, discipline, and force you'll apply, you will lose. When you do something you feel is wrong, you'll, you'll struggle. Yeah, you'll, you, will, you will serve out a harsh punishment to yourself. And it's beyond your control, apparently. It seems to be beyond our approval or control that we will do that. But damn, am I happy that I'm done with that book. (laughs) I really am. (laughs) As I said, there were moments in the book I really enjoyed, but there were moments. It was not most of the book, and I I had to work through it because, you know, I I was looking if there's going to be – it was part of me that was hoping that the end will have a very big payoff, and so I was like, I can't leave that book – without finishing it. I'm going to push myself to the end to see if there's a payoff. And there wasn't. It was not. Even in the final three pages where I saw what was coming and I thought it was beautifully described, I was not getting that high that I get sometimes. I wasn't getting that big reward. I, I finished it and I went, yep, this is pretty much where I thought we would go. And okay, this was okay. <laughs> you know, But, but I, I'm not madly in love with this book. You win some, you lose some. The other thing is, I'm curious, it would not be beyond me that in six years I'll read it and then I'll give big speeches why this is the most important book ever. (laughs) But my first reading was not quite that. Okay, so this was my take up to finishing the story of Crime and Punishment. But then afterwards, I read the epilogue as well of the book and that added much to my experience as a reader. It's a small part of the book, but it had significance for me. So we had another conversation about it and decided to record that and share it with you here. I read the epilogue today, this morning from Crimes and Punishment. It's like a 15 minute, 20 minute read Mm -hmm. that I didn't do before we talked about it. And I have to say, I'm really glad I read that. Not that it, it changes everything in some fundamental way, but it adds the only sweet note in the entire book right like the book is so full of bitterness and darkness and struggle and then the very final few pages he takes pity on the reader and just ever so slightly which is really nice though ever so slightly adds just the smallest hint of sweetness just a just a drop of honey in this bitter tea and it gives you such an pleasure as a reader you just it just makes you go ah, oh, okay this it's nice that this ends this way this is kind of okay and I thought about it I, I thought he could easily have done more with it I felt that he chose to do it with this level of restraint and moderation because you can't, if it was too sweet at the end, it, it again, it would feel false. Maybe it was, it would be too harsh of a shift to end that book with some sweetness. You have to be a great, a great Michelin star chef to know to add just, just a quarter write. of a drop of a uh, drop of honey, you know, just yeah. the right, yeah. just tiny bit, not to fully break you. And it's nice. It's, it describes kind of the last couple of years of him being a prisoner in Siberia. But it also describes a a bit of the trial and how all this evidence was presented of really kind things that he had done in his life, helping an orphan child, paying for somebody's funeral, like all these little facts that the reader didn't know about, that they brought to the trial to show that this is a you know, somewhat good person. then obviously he didn't use any of the money. He um, admitted to guilt himself voluntarily. He, which made a great impression on the judge during the trial, never spoke in a way that would be an attempt to lessen his guilt. He usually spoke in a way that would make his guilt feel even worse and that made the judge take kindly to him like oh he is a he is a, a person that is not trying to get out of this easier that is trying to make this as harsh as possible on him right the kind of the moral judgments that we make before we espow a a sentence um and then he's in in some place in some remote place in a, in in the in the in jail and has to do hard labor and, you know, live kind of a tough Russian jail life. But even there, he, it it seems like his suffering is continuing in the sense that he's taking zero steps to try to improve his life there, to make it slightly gentler or nicer. Like he could try to find a good spot to sleep and uh, a little bit better this, a little bit better that. But he's, actively resisting doing any of these things so he sleeps at the worst spot and he's like making himself more miserable during his sentence which makes the this is also an interesting fact which makes all the other prisoners hate him with vengeance he never talks to them he never does anything but they all despise him right and then this innocent girl sonia that was a, a major force in without doing much pushing him to go and you know and and admit to his guilt, she is moving to that to that city where the jail is and is visiting him regularly. And again, he dis- even despises is she her moving at the beginning because for visiting. of visiting. Yes. Yes. Because they had a moment, see, one thing that happens in the book is that At some point after the murder, he gets some money from his mother and he's on the street and sees a drunk man being trampled to death by some, by a carriage. And it's a man that he recognizes. It's a drunk man that he meets at a bar before the murder. That, by the way, is one of the most powerful pieces of the entire book. Like If I could only read one thing, I probably would read that part or would recommend that part because he walks into a bar to sit down to have a drink and he's like marinating on this murder. He's thinking about, should I do it, should I not do it? So he wants a bit of alcohol and he wants to be kind of in thought. And then there's this drunk guy that sits next to him and starts talking. And it's the kind of drunk person that is very verbose and that tells you all these stories, but it's also kind of compelling. So it's hard for you to pull away from that person. And that drunken man the way Dostoevsky writes him, the way he talks is brilliant. It's just fucking magic. Because at the beginning, it's just slightly too aggressive, slightly too happy, positive, slightly too, it's pompous, right? The guy is very pompous. The guy comes from great education, had a great post in the government, but is obviously a degenerate, you know, and is, is, is a drunkard. And he tells him, About He starts off lightly, but eventually slides into telling him about his life, his wife and his children and everything, and he tells them about horrible, horrible things he does to them because he's an alcoholic, but he tells it to him in sort of a voice that is Positive, but is breaking in pain, like in terror and pain. Like the voice is like, yeah, you know, I'm doing all these things, but there's a there's a great quality of pain in everything he admits to him, although he's laughing and talking about it as if it's nothing. Right? There's almost there's the the drunken person that's on alcohol and can't quite grasp the severity of what he does, and below that, there, there's a, a version of him. That is suffering and in hell because he's so that guilty. All that fucked up. That is yeah. yes. And the way Dostoevsky writes that is, I don't know how you know that that's tr- that that's it. Like when you hit the note, because I've not been that person. But reading it made me feel like I could feel how it feels to be that person. It was very very impressive, very powerful. And he talks about his daughter at some point he has a daughter from a previous, the drunk guy from a previous marriage. And then he marries this other woman that has a number of children already. And this daughter, his wife, she doesn't like her, right? And she's always criticizing her. And she's always, you know, it's, you're ungrateful. You're not helping. You're not this, you're not that. And one day he talks about the story of how his daughter comes home and his wife is exhausted and angry at this, that. And even his wife, who's also acting terribly at times, he talks about in ways that makes you empathetic, that makes you kind of feel like, yeah, this is also a woman that's just way beyond the point of what she can endure. And she screams at the daughter, you know, you're not helping, you're not doing anything, and we're suffering, and the little children are suffering, blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. And there's almost a moment of like, what could I even do, right? That the little girl, the young girl says. And Without saying, go and prostitute yourself, there's sort of a, you know, even she's like, you know, I have no means, no skills, this, that, and the other. And she's like, well, there are ways that women, young women, you have youth, you have beauty, and there's women that make money for their families this way, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it goes back and forth. And eventually the daughter leaves. And then late at night, at midnight, she returns and throws money on the, on the bed and the way he describes the wife falling on her knees crying and kissing the feet of the daughter and then the daughter crying and then them being all night long hugging and crying in pain for what the daughter just did is just like holy fuck you know that whole scene the whole that whole part the way he writes it is so powerful so powerful you don't know who to hate and who to love. It's just such intense humanity in those few pages. And it's told in this, you know, red-cheeked, jovial, happy, drunk, but with this severe pain, you know, in the way it's told. Incredible. That girl is Sonia, is the girl that, that Raskolnikov basically falls in love with in some way. And so what happens, how they reconnect is that a couple of days after the murder, he, he sees the drunk guy getting killed by a bunch of horses, and he is stepping into this helper role and is telling them, I know where he lives. He lives over there. I've met him a couple of days ago, and they carry him into the the room where he lives with his whole family. He's bleeding and all that, and Raskolnikov in that moment is has money in his pocket from his mother, and it's basically like, I have money. Bring the doctor. Bring this, whatever it needs. We need to save him, right? And so all these people come and he eventually dies and he gives all the money to the wife to pay for all the expenses and the funeral. That's how the daughter, Sonia, gets to meet Raskolnikov. So for her, it's like, my God, this angel, this guy came and cared for my father and is paying for all this and is there for us. And only later, you know, she gets to find out that much later that he murdered people. And so she's in, she, at some point, Raskolnikov, before he went to admit his guilt, is asking her, will you leave me? Will you abandon me? And she says, no, I will forever follow you. I will never abandon you. So he goes to jail and she follows him to some town nearby and works there everywhere and goes to visit him. At first, it vexes him, right? At first, it, it actually irritates him. Why is she coming? Why is she still there? Like, (laughs) no matter what the fuck he's doing, she's not not stopping to love and care for him. But then uh, one time she's sick and isn't coming anymore. And all of a sudden he's going in a panic and needs to know if she's all right and, you know, ask everywhere around and, you know, is getting sick himself until he finds out that, okay, she's fine. And all the inmates love her and are gentle to her and call her, mother Sonia, and she becomes this like good force in the jail where she brings messages from families of people that are in jail or gifts or whatever and and receives and 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 sends messages and eventually raskolnikov is somewhere outside in some field doing some work and there's a, a big lake and on the other side of the lake he sees some like some kind of a tribe more tribal people that live more in nature right they don't live in the in the in the cities travelers or whatever they're called and he watches them from afar and for the first time has this sort of almost vision maybe of his future life it's hard to tell of a free life free of society free of all these theories and ideas and prides and passions just being simple people that live in nature and live you know freely And in that moment Sonia appears because she's visiting him and he turns around and basically that's the moment where he sees a future for himself and he admits his love for her. So he falls on his knees and kisses her feet and and she instantly knows what it means. They don't say what it means but they both instantly know what it means. Basically it means I love you and I want to be with you when I get out of jail. And he only gets eight years because of all these circumstances that made the judge be more kind towards him. And then describes basically how this is the rebirth of Raskolnikov. The beginning of a rebirth where now seven years in jail feels like nothing. And there's hope and a vision for a future and a love in his heart. And for her, it's like, wow, this you know, she feels that there's a future and love and this, that, and the other. And then Dostoevsky writes... If he only knew how much more sacrifice, difficulty he will have to endure to transform into truly a new life. But that's for another time, a story to tell for another time. This story concludes here, basically, right? And and ends it beautiful, like a really gentle, beautiful, but not at no point false. At no point do, do, did I as a reader feel, That now he's trying to just pander to me because he's treating me like a child, right? Like the reader, oh my God, I think I I punished them too hard. I give them too many harsh situations. Let's give them some nice little thing so they feel good. The way he writes it is very gentle. It's very calm. No great emotion. It's just like a, it's almost like a little breeze of air when, you know, maybe you were too hot or maybe a little bit of a ray of sunshine when you were too cold. It's just very, very well measured. I was grateful. I thought, yeah, I needed that. Like, this is a much better way to end the story than him just walking to the police station and admitting his guilt. So that was kind of nice. You know, and then right after that, I went back to read a little bit about Dostoevsky and about his life. He is a young man was involved in some like radical groups kind of passively and then was thrown into jail and was sentenced to death. And they, they put them out on the street and were all like, we're putting blinders on them and we're a shooting squad. We're about to shoot them. And in the final second before shooting them, a messenger arrived and told them that whoever gave them the death sentence changed his mind. And they just have to get off to Siberia to work. You know, that now that's a, an intense life experience. All right. Yeah, right there. And then he, he was shipped off to Siberia. And I think it was in a prison there in a diff, very difficult prison for, you know, whatever a decade and then got out and he had a tough life and experienced a lot of dif- difficulties. But one of the books that he wrote, I instantly downloaded it because now I'm so curious for it. One of the books that he wrote is called The Idiot and is apparently the idea came to him based on that experience of almost being shot, but not being shot because as he was waiting to be shot, he thought about even the dirtiest and sickest beggar on the street would be somebody who would want to change life with just to be able to feel the air, the sunshine, to be alive, life, yeah? to, to, to be receiving the gift of life. And so in that book, it's basically about some guy that experiences a situation like that and then is so drunk and grateful on life that at all times he basically looks and seems like a total idiot because he's just like always giddy and always drunk and always so grateful and always so okay with everything that he's like a you know appears to be a great idiot so That that's kind of an interesting an interesting idea i find for for yeah. a book